Welcome to Ancient Answers, the program where we discuss current issues by looking to the wisdom of the ancient civilizations that came before us. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Without any further ado, I would like to present the second half of our conversation on revolutions. The revolution in writing. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's an ideological revolution if there ever it's was an one. Ideological, I mean, it's a technological. Yep. And in some ways, ideological. The idea that beforehand people relied on memory to remember everything mm -hmm. and direct face-to-face -face communications but the idea that you could actually create uh, documents that could be where knowledge and information could be passed down yeah that's a revolution in terms of organizing society because yeah. you don't have to reinvent the wheel every generation well it's actually funny you mentioned the wheel as well because and the wheel because was the revolution. Well, yeah. well because while reading about the first agricultural revolution um it was it, it blew my mind when i realized that we literally learned how to domesticate plants and animals before we invented the wheel the according to the archaeological evidence the domestication of plants but that makes sense before does it yeah because you don't need a wheel until you domesticate animals. Because you're not going to be pulling the wheel yourself. <laughs> Otherwise, you would have had that in the Americas. But they didn't have any animal. The llama oh, well, is not domesticatable yeah. to pull a wagon. Yeah. So the wheel, even though they had wheels on toys, yeah. they knew what the wheel was. They didn't have a way to use the wheel. Oh, okay, fair because enough. Because they yeah. didn't have any large draft animals to work with. But the, it just, the Eurasians did... And it's therefore, just, they could figure it out. It's just it's just crazy to me that it, it's just, like, for us, it's such a simple thing, right? Like, it's the wheel is just very much taken for granted. It's used in absolutely everything. Like, I'm looking at your clock right here. You know, that's got all kinds of wheels inside of it to move the, the hands on it, right? And just how it's, it's, it's one of the simplest machines that we've ever created, like a wheel and axle, right? And the fact that we managed to get the hang of crossbreeding and domesticating plants to grow the way we want it to before we figured out how to make something round and roll to serve our purposes is astonishing to me. Yeah, yeah. So the wheel, I mean, these are the standard ones that are thought. These are the basic inventions in human history that revolutionized mm -hmm. the direction of human history. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and we you mentioned earlier the Bronze Age or the and, and that was that was very much a a technological revolution. So we mentioned the shift from uh, stone or sorry the shift from hunter gatherers to farming. Stone. But now yeah now we're talking about the shift from stone tools to actual metallurgical tools. Yeah. So it began with copper and smelting copper as just a a simple metal to work with. Well, a simple act of smelting is. In a sense, a revolutionary technology. Yeah, the idea that someone was able to start breaking down stones and, and ore and then melt that down into a useful, malleable material like copper. And then, you know, either then somehow tin was added to it. And I would oh like goodness. to know who invented that. Like, that who would was be... sitting there with a little chunk of bronze, uh, sorry, uh, copper and happened to have a little bit of tin and, oh, I dropped it in there. And, and I'm, honestly, I'm assuming it was an accident. I am, I, am, I am straight up assuming that it was completely accidental. Because how would they figure that out? Yeah. I mean, tin and copper came from such uh, areas that are so far apart. Yeah. It's not like they... Somebody must have just got two together. <laughs> hey, let's melt together and see what happens. Yeah. Let's try it out. Yeah. Or something. And, of course... Which is they, very endeavor in human society to begin they, with. They would never have 
knowing what ratio to put them, and they would have had to yeah, try and try and try. Trial and error, yeah. Because what what is it like? Ten, is it like a ten, ten to, to one ratio? Or ten something to one, like that? yeah. Or ninety one percent copper, eleven uh, percent tin is the best. Yeah, it's the optimum. Yes. Okay, yeah. There you go. So yeah, rough, roughly nine and to a one. little bit of carbon. Because, oh yeah, and which naturally came from the fire happened. To, yeah, to it. yeah. Well, one thing I didn't realize, <laughs> speaking to these technological revolutions and you know and metallurgical revolutions, is the fact that um, you know the the Iron Age. So the Bronze Age was from about thirty. Pardon me, 3300 BCE to 1200, um, and it ended with the Bronze Age collapse, which I won't get into here as we're actually going to talk about that in a future episode. That's right. Stay tuned. Yeah, because um, that's a pretty interesting time in history. But the the Iron Age, the, the that revolution was actually, to me, it was far less less impactful than the the bronze, uh, the the metallurgy working with bronze, because we sort of, you know. Going from stone to copper and then bronze was this massive, massive leap. And then when you shift from bronze to iron and steel, it's it's a little to me it's a smaller jump. It basically you have a harder metal. Yeah. Um, well, you, they, you could do better farming tools. Mm-hmm. That's often overlooked. Yeah. That the farming tools could be improved. Which is one of the reasons why you saw population numbers start to increase. Well, and the one thing that I didn't realize is that the iron was actually worked far earlier than most people realize, but it never caught on as sort of the dominant metal because bronze was actually stronger and more durable than iron. Straight iron. Because they they couldn't carbonize the iron. And that was the thing. Once they learned to mix the iron with carbon and create steel, well, then it was game over for bronze. Right. But that that process was slower than a lot of people realize. And like I said, I didn't realize that there was so much time where, oh, no, we knew about iron and we knew that it was a useful metal, but it wasn't nearly as good as bronze. And what's the one thing about iron that's different than than bronze? It's more brittle. Yes, that's true. So things broke. It broke. Yeah. A little bit of torque on a on an iron tool and it would break and yeah. you couldn't necessarily weld it back no iron irons of straight iron is a very difficult metal to work with like yeah. just just period and you got to get the temperature to go up from i think it's 800 degrees to 1200 degrees yeah iron so you has have much yeah. better uh um bellows yep you have to have a well your whole forge set the whole forge system has to be done differently but it was yeah i i didn't realize that you know i'm i'm no metallurgist or anything like that but uh, it never occurred to me that bronze was actually a stronger more durable metal than iron was Uh, but then again there was that shift once they discovered mix it with some carbon and all of a sudden you've got this unbelievable product it's in in true steel in, in good point i mean that was one of the advantages roman military had is that they had developed a system of mass production of swords, mm-hmm. the gladiuses, that were t- tempered steel. Yeah. Tempered, well, tempered iron, technically. Uh, they, they, they were remarkably strong. They could break almost any other sword that they struck. Oh, wow. Because barbarian tribes did not have access to that technology right at the beginning. They did later on, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why eventually the Roman Empire would fall, because armies fighting armies that had similarly, you know, tensile weapons, that starts to equalize your ability. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's it's just interesting, and, and for me, another reason why the Iron Age was sort of less prevalent than the Bronze Age is that the, the Bronze Age saw a lot of different advances in technology and society where we, you know, like you mentioned, starting to, working with better tools for farming, for example, leads to better agricultural production and now you get larger population centers because you can feed more people 
there's this whole uh, snowball effect with all of it. Whereas the Iron Age, because it was coming on the tail end of the Bronze Age collapse, it was much more of a, um, a recovery period as well, which wasn't something I was really aware of until I started researching for this, that... Yeah, in the Iron Age, it was just, okay, you know, things have fallen apart for a little while, and it was reconstructing, it was reconstituting, you know, they had to kind of recover and go back over the same ground they'd already traversed. I've often wondered, did the the people that lived through that collapse in, let's say, the next two or three hundred years, did they sort of know that the world was a better place before, or at least a more sophisticated place before, Mm -hmm. and that they have inherited... A lesser world and then started the process to rebuild so let's say the year 1200 to 900 mm-hmm. BC I mean that's the peak time of the Old Testament time uh, yeah. period which is a little challenging to fit histologically in with the, the general world I mean you can some places uh, you, you know you get the impression that uh, you know, King David was a substantial uh, monarch of his time, but not really. He was mm-hmm. a king, you know, his kingdom was 200 by 300 kilometers. <laughs> okay, that's, you know, that was a city-state, really, in yeah. some ways. It, it was there, but he, you know, kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judea survived because there wasn't any big boys around mm-hmm. to kind of smack them down until a little bit later on. Yeah. Everyone was sort of focused inwardly and just, you know, recovering and, you know, doing their own, surviving, essentially. Yeah. So the, the, the spread of technological information through trade and other voices had been curtailed. Yeah. And it happened to be that iron began at that time to become a tradable item. Mm-hmm. The idea of, you know, mixing it with other different elements in order to improve its tensile strength yeah. would have been literally word of mouth. Oh yeah, it was it was the Hittites who started doing that as well, from what I remember. That's right. But uh, that's right. I remember reading this funny little story that um, in Viking society they were uh, they they were working with iron, and I'd mentioned earlier that they Northern European societies sort of got to iron a bit later than a lot of Mediterranean societies did. So this would have been, um, I think it was around just before the Viking Age. So we're talking like six hundred CE, something like that. Um, and apparently they, when early Viking cultures were working with iron, uh, just as because of their culture, and anyone who's ever read Viking mythology or has any familiar or with watch that, the TV or show. watch the TV show knows that it's pretty violent and brutal. Um, and so they would actually mix in animal bones with the iron that they were creating. And what they didn't realize was that the carbon from the bones actually turned it into a primitive form of steel. So they were they were yeah. doing it just for sort of religious purposes, let's say, or um, um, like warfare for whatever. It was it was very like spiritual and just like big tough. Um, oh God, I don't even know how to put it, but they were just well, they being say, crazy Vikings essentially. You know, Thor says we should mix some bones with the uh, with the iron. We'll get yeah. stronger swords, and it works. And that was that. And the, they actually had a better form of uh, it. Was, again, it was a primitive form of steel just through their their ideology where oh yeah we're gonna mix animal bone into this to give it the essence of nature and and make it stronger because as the spirit of the animal imbued with it well they actually put carbon into it and made steel well i mean one of the other great places of truly good quality steel 
from that ancient time was what we called the Damascus oh, yes. steel. Yep. And, and a lot of that was driven by the advanced technologies that the Islamic states, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the Muslim Which are very underrated for some of the things that they came up with. They did. In fact, I, I, I will put together a bit of an episode to kind of identify. It is on the sort of the, 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 the brink of where we sort of cut off time-wise our, our podcast here. But, you know, the Islamic states, as part of the sort of Muslim revolution, they did bring a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. They did systematically and scientifically yes. approach the solution for improving steel, improving uh, food distribution, uh, taxation systems. I mean, it was mixed up with the Quran, which yeah. has a lot of uh, you know uh, edicts within it in terms of handling everything from taxes to slaves to other sort of mundane uh, societal issues. But no, they saw it as all as an all-inclusive system of belief, hmm. and uh, yes, that is one of the things that improved was the ability of metallurgy. Uh, obviously, as an ideological revolution, yeah. it is huge. It still reverberates to the day. Oh God, yeah. Um, and I, I would put the fact that they saw the world with a different perspective revolutionized the way they would approach societal uh, organization mm-hmm. future. They weren't perfect. They had their no. own divisions and, and, and some real, uh, you know, they had a division between the Sunnis and the Shia and stuff like that. But it represented a very intelligent approach to trying to create a unified society mm-hmm. as a revolutionary thought. Yeah. All men are equal if you, uh, you know, l- listen to Allah. Yeah. And, and, and what your race is and your ethnicity was not important. Now the Romans had experimented with it earlier, yeah. but the Muslims actually were the first people to really make it work. Okay. And if it wasn't for Genghis Khan showing up, <laughs> and kind of messing up the western parts. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, it is. I mean, to this day, yep. it is still a major part of, of the. They're just they're just much more fragmented politically yeah. than ideologically. Yeah. So now. So with, uh, with all this discussion about revolution, so one thing that I want to bring up is the question of, are we on the precipice of a, le- of a revolution in modern times? This is something, <laughs> this is something I've, been, I've had a lot of conversations with different people about, because right now, there's a lot happening in the world. I mean, in, right now, we're in the midst of COVID-19, which has been going on for a year and a half at this point. So you throw a global pandemic into it, but then you look at the climate crisis and, um, you know, trying to reduce carbon emissions to net zero. Uh, You look at the economic inequality where the rich are getting unbelievably rich, whereas you've got these younger generations are sort of feeling disenfranchised and having a hard time. You know, there's less wealth going around to younger generations than there has been in generations prior. the sort of feeling of despondency and just and political tr- uh, turmoil, like, there's a lot happening. So I'm so I that makes me ask the question: Are we on the precipice of a revolution? And go and I'm going back to the definition I pulled up of a revolution, where the forcible overthrow of not necessarily a government, but of a social order in favor of a new system. Well, I think I think we will see forces that will make that decision. I don't think we humans will actually make the decision. I think it'll it'll happen to us okay. because there's too many diversified human interests to get cohesion at this point. That's a fair point. The yeah. United Nations 
could serve as a, a point, but it is traditionally gets outvoted by the IMF and other financial world bank because economics, I hate to use the word, but trumps other interests mm -hmm. out there uh, and has even from ancient days yeah. where trades and trading arrangements and conquering territory in order to gather the revenue from the resources from that area, whether it was agricultural or, or mineralogical, uh, that hasn't changed. That's true, yeah. Revolution, I think it'll be forced upon us. We have three things that make us different, certainly in the last 150 years. Okay. We are eight times the population on this planet. Which is astonishing that the population's increased eightfold in 150 years. Right. We've got a significant percentage of the human species that relies on significant inputs of hydrocarbons mm -hmm. to run everything. Our cars, but not only that, our, our food, yep. agriculture, uh, that the shipping of things around the world so we can get all our convenient products. Well, look at what happened when the Suez Canal was blocked. That's a, a good example. Just seeing how many ships were going all the way around the Horn of Africa. I didn't... I didn't. I, I knew that global trade and seafaring was still a big deal, but I didn't realize how big a until billion and a half dollars was lost out of that. I, I didn't realize just how many ships were always in transit until I saw the maps and just how many people were going around, and it was it was absolutely mind boggling to me. I do think that with the concentration of wealth in the hands of fewer fewer people, mm -hmm. even that inequality. Now you and I live comfortable lives, all relatively speaking, yeah. where we live, but we are still a minority. Mm -hmm. It is only about 20% of the human population that lives, quote-unquote, comfortable lives. Yeah. 20% um, roughly live in impoverished lives, and mm -hmm. everybody else in between is just scraping out a living. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could say, well, what about China? Well, you know, the majority of the Chinese workforce works 12-hour uh, days. Uh, often they get one day a week off, mm -hmm. and they are working jobs that often are very mundane and very, very tedious, yeah. much like our ancestors did. Our jobs have been taken by the Chinese because they're willing to work that, but even them, they are getting supplanted by Vietnamese <laughs> and Thai who are willing to work for even cheaper labors, if not the Indians. Yeah. So we're all, being, we're all racing to the bottom economically, and that's where I believe the weakest point is, is the economic structure. Yeah. And the fact that if, if we see the major uh, state banks uh, blow out, which they did almost in 2008, yep. uh, then we have no faith in it. Because all our currencies are based on fiat. Yep. That we have the faith that the money is worth it. That it's not really backed by silver or gold species. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, That's the interesting thing about modern economics is that it's all it's all digital, right? Like before there was always some... You were You were counting on something, be it silver or gold or resources or what have you. But now it's very much digital. I remember having a conversation with someone about COVID where they mentioned uh, the, the economic ramifications of COVID. And my response was that, well, I'm not worried about the economy because it doesn't really exist. And, and they were kind of taken aback by that. I'm like, well, when you think about it, like, the economy is an abstract concept that we created. It's not a physical, tangible thing. It's something that we built ourselves, and it's something that we can adjust as we need to, that we have over the course of hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Um, it's certainly much more complicated than that. That's obviously simplified, but, uh, but in essence, it doesn't really exist. So what, what do you do with a city like 18, uh, New York, 18 million, mm -hmm. Chicago at 5 million, LA at 11 million? Mm -hmm. 
they, the, these are cities where nobody grows food. Right. And then what happens when things go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it I, I do think that, I mean, there are, you know, people forecasting that we're going to go through a, a tumultuous time coming up. We're supposedly at the fourth turning uh, where, you know, every 80 years there's a major revolutionary, there's the word again, yeah. revolutionary turn of the human dial okay. and we deal with a whole new set of circumstances usually based on some economic underpinning okay. but also on demographics that a different generation has a different attitude towards things or a different priority yeah. on things and we saw that reflected in the ancient days as well it just yeah. run ran slower because it, it took yeah. longer for these effects to work its way when you didn't have telecommunications or mm -hmm. you know immediate communication with all ranges of an empire well and even just education nowadays happens a lot more universally and a lot faster than it used to as well right so that's right those ideas get communicated across that's right bigger distances in a faster way so and then you throw social media and then it's a real mess yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> well that was a good topic that's, that's a good note to end on there that was a good media. topic to pick there shane yeah. i enjoyed talking with you about that one yeah i, I mm -hmm. quite i quite enjoyed uh, doing the research for that and having the conversation that was that was enjoyable so we say we're going to be a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's in interesting times we live in, no matter, no matter which way you cut it, that's for sure. Well, we thank all our listeners for listening in, and we appreciate the, any feedback comes in. Don't forget to check us out on social medias, on our other platforms, and stay tuned as we are going to be transitioning as the wintertime comes along into some YouTube videos and uh, we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. So I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And I'll enjoy a great day and hope things go well for everybody listening in. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.